fresh every Tuesday for MSPs around the world. This is Paul Green's MSP Marketing Podcast. Hello and welcome back. This is episode 132 of the podcast. And here's what we got coming up for you this week. MSPs tend to want to compare notes and they see what some of their larger colleagues are doing that have started to bring in a management layer into their business. And they realize, oh, well, you know, but they're doing it. How come I can't do it? That's Luis Giraldo from Scalepad. He's going to be here later in the show to talk about progression and getting things done. In a week's time, more or less, it's June. It's scary, isn't it? June is the mark of halfway through 2022. It's going so quickly. So Luis and I are going to talk about getting things done and moving your MSP forward. We're also going to be talking later on about doing a ticket frenzy. What if you focused all of the attention of your business on getting a whole load of tickets done and also looking at the trends, analyzing why did these tickets get stuck and how can we stop them getting stuck in the future? Paul Green's MSP Marketing Podcast. If there's one thing that's going to have you lying awake at 4 a.m. worrying about the business, it's cash flow. Cash is king. Cash is also the thing that kills businesses. No business ever went under because it's not profitable. You can be unprofitable for years and years. Look at Amazon. Amazon didn't write a profit for much of its existence, but Amazon has great cash flow. There's always plenty of money coming in to do the things that Amazon needs to do. Now, if your MSP has good, strong streams of monthly recurring revenue, then cash flow should be less of an issue for you. But of course, on the way to building that monthly recurring revenue, which makes it so much easier to know and forecast how your cash is going to be, on the way there, there are some cash flow techniques, some strategies that you can use to make sure that you don't ever lie awake at 4am worrying. Because worrying is such a waste of our precious, valuable time. We don't have a huge amount of time here on this planet. Why would we want to waste any of it worrying? You can get rid of worrying by well, through two things, really. First of all is through having information, and secondly, by taking action. If you know exactly how much cash is coming in and going out, that's the information. And then you can take action on making sure that the cash coming in far exceeds the cash going out. Now, there are a number of things to look at, a number of strategies, if you like, for a positive cash flow. I think strategy number one has to be to know your figures inside out. And you've probably heard the saying before that if you don't measure it, you can't manage it. So you've got to be completely on top of the cash that's coming in and going out. And there are a number of different ways of doing that. So the easiest way to do that is with monthly management accounts. So you get your bookkeeper or your accountant to prepare some accounts for you every month and they're in real time. So if, as we are now, we're near the end of May, at the end of May or the very, very first few days of June, you get your management accounts from your bookkeeper, which tell you what happened last month. So it's as, it's as near to real-time information as you can get. You could argue that if you've got QuickBooks or Xero or some of the kind of modern, up-to-date online software for managing your accounts, then you can access this information in real-time yourself. However, what I've found over the years is that a great number of MSPs that I work with, and you know, I'm in exactly the same boat, we get a bit lost in accounts. And yeah, sure, we can go and access the information in Xero easily enough, but accessing it is one thing 
interpreting it is a whole different game. So if that's you, then you would perhaps ask your professional advisor to just do these management accounts. You want to look at things like, you know, how much money is being held by the credit card company or the direct debit company, depending on which you use. Even if you have all of your fees paid on a monthly basis, your monthly recurring revenue just taken automatically from your clients. Often, some of the, particularly the credit card companies, they will hold on to a percentage of that cash in case you have any chargebacks down the line. You can do basic cash flow forecasting, especially when you've got monthly recurring revenue. You know what date you're taking it out of your customer's bank account, and you know what date it's going to actually land in your bank account. There's always a short delay between those two things. So seeing as you know the dates, you can estimate the flow of cash in and out of the business. And once you've got that kind of information, that's when you can start to be really smart. And for example, if you arrange for all of your direct debits, your card payments to be taken out on the fifth of the month, you could then very easily arrange for the vast majority of your bills to be paid on the 25th of the month. So you know you've got a clear 20 days or so between you taking the cash, it gives it some time to land in your account and for then those bills to go out. That kind of cash flow forecasting and just doing something as simple as that, it removes a huge number of the worries of cash flow. I think tracking cash flow is a very difficult thing. There are plugins that you can get for Xero and QuickBooks. I find, and I've been doing this a number of years and I know what I'm about to say, is a bit technologically backwards, but I've always just tracked it with a spreadsheet. I use a Google Sheet and I track it every single week, how much cash is coming in, how much is going out, uh, just get the information out of zero. I know I'm creating work for myself. I mean, actually, I don't do it. My virtual assistant does it for me, but it doesn't matter. I can see on a sheet every single week how much cash is coming in, how much is going out, and that's why I rarely lie awake worrying at 4 a.m. Some other strategies then, you should review your overheads. Now, by overheads, I mean the, the basic bills that need to be paid, things like your utility bills, your tax, you know, rates on your buildings, any rent, telecoms, internet, all of those kind of things, insurances, anything that's a regular payment but is a commodity. At least once a year, you should look at that and just review it. Now, there are companies that will actually take it on and do this for you. There's one here in the UK called BCR Associates. I used them for many years when I had a business which had an actual physical office. And what they do is they just take over your utilities, things like your insurance and your electricity. And every six months or so, they price match you, they price check, because it's a franchise, you see. And so if they've got, let's say, a thousand companies that they're looking after, they can go to an energy supplier and say, hey, I've got a thousand businesses here that will switch to you in one go. What's the best rate that you can give them? And that's how they make their money. In fact, you don't pay them for this service, not BCR. You don't pay them directly. They make their money in kickbacks from the companies they switch you to. So you save money, they get a fee, and the energy companies get to grow by a couple of thousand subscribers. It's literally a win-win-win for everyone. And I bet in whichever country you're in, there will be some kind of company that does almost exactly the same thing. So always look at those regular payments, the ones where if you switch to another supplier, it doesn't really have any effect on the quality of the thing that you buy. You can also go to your core suppliers 
vendors, your big vendors, and ask them if there's the option of better terms. Sometimes if you pay your bills a little earlier, you can actually get a discount. Not always, but it's worth asking. Sometimes you can go to them and maybe you've got 30 days, you can just routinely ask them for 60 days or maybe even 90 days. Now, what that does is that gives you the ability to keep more of the cash in your bank account for longer. And this should be one of your key goals. You're going to get cash from your clients faster and spend the cash slower. Keep the cash in your bank account for longer. It just builds up the amounts of money in your bank account and makes everything easier. Which makes me think that maybe you should be paid upfront by your clients. So when they join you on a managed service basis, you set up billing at the beginning of the month. And that way, if their billing does fall over for whatever reason, at least you know about it early in the month. Terrible to get to the end of the month, or even worse, to get to the end of the month and then they've had 30 days to pay. So it's kind of like two months down the line before you find out that actually they haven't got the cash to pay you this month. Much better to find out right at the beginning of the billing month, because then you can have the conversation with them and see whether you know it's just a temporary glitch or whether there's actually some big cash problem happening in your client. A couple of other things that I just have a look at. One is to minimize stockholding. I don't think that's a problem right now, is it, with the difficulty getting hold of technology? But when, you know, supply chains are better and it's possible to go and buy lots of kit, it's tempting, isn't it, to go and buy 20 of those laptops because you can get a deal, but every second that a great big chunk of plastic and metal is sat in your stockroom and it's not out on a client's desk or cash in your bank, then, you know, it's affecting your cash flow. And the other thing to look at is to work to your cash flow timetable. Now, this is a country by country thing but for example here in the UK we charge something called VAT value added tax and all businesses they have to put VAT on what they sell certainly in in our world there are some you know VAT exempt things things like school clothes and food and stuff like that but generally businesses here charge VAT and ultimately then they claim it back on their purchases. So it's consumers that are the end payers of VAT, but you've got all the businesses in the supply chain are collecting VAT, VAT, on behalf of the UK government. Now, the thing with paying VAT is you pay your VAT every quarter here in the UK. So once a quarter, you send in your VAT return, your like your calculations to the government, and then you pay them all the money that you have collected on their behalf. Now, if you had a big purchase that you were going to make, it would make sense from a cash flow point of view to leave that right to the end of the quarter because you can literally then make an immediate impact on your VAT return. So if you, the day before, let's say you had a big purchase, a big thing you wanted to buy, and the day before your VAT return was due, that was when you did the purchase. That would have an immediate effect on your VAT return, and so you would have to pay out less VAT. And there will be something like that in your area. Of course, it's worth talking to your accountant, your CPA, to see what kind of thing you can do to make your cash flow easier. Now, these are just some of the things you can do with cash flow. I think if cash flow is an issue for you, talking to your accountant, to your professional advisor, should always be step number one. Because in the same way that you spend all day, every day absorbed by technology, they spend all day, every day absorbed by money and strategies for managing money and keeping more money and making sure that the money works for you. And I've never, ever, ever regretted paying my professional advisors, be it lawyers, be it accountants, whoever, to give me good advice on better things that I can do to make it easier to run my business. Here's this week's clever idea. Tickets. 
That's not something we talk about on this podcast very often, and yet it's a feature of your everyday, day-to-day life. When I'm talking to the MSPs in my peer groups, this is part of my MSP Marketing Edge service, tickets comes up so often, either because someone will say something like, oh, we don't have many tickets in at the moment. There haven't been many tickets submitted. It's a very quiet ticket day. Or of course, the opposite of, you know, we are bogged down with tickets right now. It just seems that there are so many tickets we can't shift. We have so many tickets that we're pulling over from day to day to day. Tickets, I think, and I don't want to talk about tickets from a technical point of view. I want to talk about them from a customer service point of view because you see tickets as jobs to be done and your technicians see them as jobs to be done. On the flip side, on the other side, the person who's got the problem and has submitted the ticket or they wouldn't look at it like that, would they? They have talked to you and told you about an issue they've got. To them, it's an issue that's either interfering with their work or stopping them from doing their work properly or stopping them from doing anything at all. It's not a ticket, it's a problem. And you and I both know that the users that you support, the people you look after every day, they don't just see these as small problems. Even something as simple as the dreaded printer doesn't work. It's a major issue for someone when their technology doesn't work. You know that whole thing of when someone new starts a new user and they tell you that that new user has started half an hour after they started and then wonder why they don't have email within four minutes. To you, that's a major pitter, P-I-T-A, you know what that means. To them, it's also a major pitter. It's a kind of a major thing. It's a pain for them that they have to tell you about it in the first place. And they really don't understand why it's an issue to tell you 30 minutes into someone's starting that, you know, that they've started. They don't understand why you wouldn't prioritize setting up a new user for them because hey it's just a 10 minute job isn't it but that's the thing you and I both know that when you've been through the triage process that 10 minute job it's not urgent well it shouldn't be urgent it's not really important it's got to be done at some point but it's not as important as this business over here one of our other clients who are down there's nothing they can do because they have no access to the internet or whatever one of the ideas that I hear talked about kind of often by MSPs is the idea of a ticket frenzy that once or twice a week you stop at let's say five o'clock one day. So let's say your your hours are normally up till six o'clock in the evening. You stop an hour early, everyone jumps off what they're doing and you kind of put the phones over to your call handling service and you do a ticket frenzy. And that frenzy is literally you jump in as a team working together to close as many tickets as you can. Because often it is that little tickets that, well, it's either the little things that have just seemed to be persisting and just very easily ignored for a day. But the other thing that tends to happen is you have a ticket that you've got 80% closed and it just hasn't quite been finished. Sometimes it's because the tickets just haven't been closed off. The technician hasn't finished their notes properly or you know the job has been completed but the ticket hasn't been closed. But other times it is a case that, well, we've nearly done this job, but we haven't spoken to the client or we haven't filled in this or we haven't updated you know, our documentation system or whatever the case is. Lots of MSPs have a huddle twice a day. They'll have a huddle in the morning, they'll have a huddle in the afternoon, and that's kind of like a ticket review. It's getting the whole team together, talking about what resources we've got today, who's on what job, who's doing which tickets, and you know, basically staying organized with it. I think that's a better idea to do that every single day, or better still, twice a day. But do you know what? If you don't have the ability to do that, I think a ticket frenzy can be a very smart way to just throw yourself at it. And the beauty of a ticket frenzy as well is that you can actually start to spot trends. 
I believe with all business data, be it tickets, be it cash flow like we were talking about earlier, be it any kind of data, the real value in that data is in the trends. Data in itself is interesting, but it doesn't necessarily tell you what's going on, where trends do tell you what's going on. If you see the same kind of problem cropping up a number of different times in tickets, and you notice that during a huddle or a ticket frenzy, that can trigger a conversation amongst the team of, hey, has something changed in Windows here? Or have we done something wrong here? Or, hmm, we need to improve our documentation in this. That's the beauty of those kind of ticket frenzies or ticket huddles. Remember, the purpose of this is not just clearing down the tickets. Although you feel good when the tickets are cleared down, the purpose here is great customer service. That's why we have the ticket system in the first place, to better manage the tickets so that we can give the clients a better experience. And it's the small things that keep clients with you. It's the small things that make them choose to stay with you for another contract or move on to another MSP. Paul's blatant plug. One of the best free marketing resources for MSPs all over the planet is a Facebook group called MSP Marketing. It's actually my group. I run it. We've got 1,500 MSPs in there and they are all MSPs. It's a vendor free zone. So we can talk openly about all aspects of marketing your MSP and business growth. I'm just going to look through some of the most recent posts. So we've got one here from... Uh, Katharina, which is, I'm looking, she says, I'm looking for a great IT takeover transition process chart stroke image. And there's a number of uh, comments on that one. She wants to handle transitions from an old MSP to a new MSP smoothly. That's a great idea. Uh, Carlton's here. Oh, this one's got 35 comments just from looking at this. This is a great one from Carlton. Just had a PIA client. PIA is like P-I-T-A. You know, I was just mentioning in the last bit, pain in the... Yeah, you get the idea. Just had a PIA client giving one of my team an unjustified verbal tirade. I joined the call calmly, asking what her problem was, and she gave me a load of noise too. I interrupted her, Carlson says, told her that I was sick and tired of her moaning and rudeness to me and my staff, that we would sort our problem out, but that she was fired. Oh, that's beautiful. 35 comments on that one. That's just beautiful. Here's something from me. It's a website, Quick Win Wednesday. It's a post... Yeah, I published it on a Wednesday and it's the scary real life website tests. Let me read this one to you. You go to a networking meeting, you get talking to business people you don't really know, but they must be the kind of people you'd like to be clients. You ask them to help you out with a bit of market research, get them to pull up your website on their phone and look at it for no more than 30 seconds. And then without being able to ask you any clarifying questions, they must tell you what you do and who you do it for. And that's, that's why I call it the scary real life website test. Anyway, there's loads and loads and loads of great conversations and discussions about growing your MSP. So if this is the kind of resource that you fancy and you are an MSP owner or manager, uh, you can come and join it completely free. You just go onto Facebook, go into the search bar, type in MSP marketing and there in groups is my little face. Come and join me in the MSP marketing Facebook group. The Big Interview. Morning, my name is Luis Geraldo, Chief Experience Officer at Scalepad. How are you doing, Paul? I'm very good, thank you. And thank you so much for coming back on the podcast. Uh, you were a big hit when you were on last year. Different company, and we'll find out more about your new company when we move on and talk about you later on. But where we are today, Luis, we are uh, about a week away from June. And I know a lot of people will would sort of realize from that, hang on a second, what, we're nearly six months into the year. Because <laughs> it seemed for, it's, it's so easy, isn't it, for Christmas to be a couple of weeks ago, and you're in January, and then you're in February, and you're 
meaning to get on to doing a whole load of things. And then suddenly you wake up and you're a week away from June, as we are right now. And, you know, you talk to a lot of MSPs. I talk to a lot of MSPs. Do you think a lot of people will get to this point of the year and they'll be utterly shocked at just how little progression they've actually made in changing the business in that six months? Well, no doubt. I think everybody goes through a little bit of that uh, change. Even when February and March uh, come around, everybody's like, wait, is it February already? Is it March already? You know, and QBR season is uh, typically in January. So MSPs, I know, are thinking a lot about their customers and their relationships and their strategy in the January, February months. And for it to be June almost already sounds like a crazy thing to consider. But it, it happens, sort of the time gets away from us. And by the way, as I get older, it seems like the weeks just meld into each other more and more. And so uh, I don't know where time is going, but I, I hope people are getting things accomplished. It's that time where we have to take stock of what we've been able to accomplish so far this year and hopefully have some good goals for the rest of the year as well. Do you think it's a uniquely MSP thing that stops us getting things done? Because the very nature of the of the business is, you know, sitting, waiting for problems to happen and doing proactive work. And so little time is put into the development of the business that that's how easily it can get away with you. Do you think that's the issue or do you think it's it's just something that all business owners suffer with? I think it's certainly habitual. You know, I, I was chatting with Paul Dipple last year during a series of interviews we did with Enable. And one of the things he he really was very strongly opinionated about is that anybody at any size of company has the ability to create that muscle memory of the habits that you need in your business, whether it's process, whether it's uh, strategy, whatever it is that you're trying to do that you don't seem to ever have time for, you can generally uh, create the habits for. And so I think it's just a matter of uh, setting those priorities, figuring out what are the specific next steps that you want to accomplish. Having those goals, I think, uh, articulated even in your own head uh, makes a big difference to, to make progress throughout the year as you're trying to get things accomplished. You must have read the book Atomic Habits by James Clear, I think, wrote that. Have you read that book? I, I have it on my shelf uh, at home, actually. And so uh, it, there's three books. It's it's the Steve Jobs uh, one. It's the Atomic Habits. And it's one of the Patrick Lencioni uh, books, which I like so much, called uh, The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. So those are the, the three uh, keepsakes on my shelf that whenever I'm doing um, a video thing from home, people see those three books up on my shelf. Yeah, and, and and Topic Habits is a great book, isn't it? It's one of one of the best selling books on uh, productivity, uh, I, I believe. In fact, I, I think um, I'm sure James Clear sent an email out last year um, saying that it was still, you know, in the top five of best selling books of the year, even though it had been out for a number of years. It's a great book because it deals with habits in real life. I had a great habit for a, for a decade or so of getting up at five in the morning to work on my business, uh, and then it was actually the very first lockdown in 2020. I got out of that habit because suddenly the pressures of daily life. You know, I didn't need to be in the car at a certain time to take child to school. You know, it didn't matter if I stayed up a bit later and had another glass of wine because I could always have a lie in the next morning and you couldn't even leave the house. And I look back now a couple of years on and I, I kind of, I wouldn't say I regret it because I'm in, I'm in control of my life choices, but that was certainly a great habit that I had for being very productive. The cost of that was I had to go to bed early and, and that's maybe where that, that, um, that, that habit went. Do you think as, as we get older and older, it's harder for us to form these good habits which do make a positive difference to our business? There's that famed um, commentary about uh, you know relationships and, and how men who get married, um, women often are trying to change their husbands for all the years that, that come after. Uh, and I, I have found that uh, many of the behavioral scientists that I listen to occasionally 
um, say that this, that's not really the case. You know, people don't really change. They just become more of who they are. Mm-hmm. And so I think um, the early development of those habits is super important because even if that's not something that you do uh, intrinsically is not part of your personality, I find that you can still create the habit uh, if you do it regularly enough. Um, interestingly, I, I think one of the challenges with the IT uh, space is how out of left field everything comes at you, you know, whether it's uh, client emergencies or the reactive stuff. And so it's easy to be thrown off your habit game because there's just constantly a barrage of things that are distracting you from, from that. But um, I think it's easy to create the habit. You know, the other day I posted on LinkedIn, it was, it was kind of surprising because I had never gotten that kind of response to a post. And it was something I, I was actually standing here in the office. It was early. Uh, the sun was rising. It was a beautiful, clear day. And I, I snapped a picture and I posted it on LinkedIn. I just felt particularly hopeful that day. And I said something like, I've decided that today is a fantastic day or something like that. Um, and the response that post got was was really overwhelming in the sense that, you know, people direct message and, and were like, hey, we, I love that message. I love that sentiment. Uh, lots of likes and, and people sort of expressing gratitude for just being awake that day, you know. And it just kind of hit me that uh, we have simple problems that that have simple solutions. And sometimes you just have to make that daily decision of like, yeah, today is another day. Every t- every chance you get to go out and do the thing, go out and do the thing and decide to do it. I think that's a, a great way to start the day. But and, and you're right, we, we have simple problems and the solutions are often quite simple. And yet somehow in our heads, they get bigger and bigger, don't they? And, you know, if you if you look in the, the context of even just in human history, in human history, the problems that we're facing today don't really matter. If you look at the universe and how the, just just our lives are just finger clicks in the actual history of the universe. Yeah. None of it really matters. Why do you think we, we build it up to be so big? I mean, is it... Because we care, we all care about these things, and we all want, would love to emotionally detach from these things. But you've lain awake at night worrying about something inconsequential. I've done it. Everyone listening to this has done it. And you know, I I have a five year diary, and uh, where I just make a little note at the end of each day of what the day's been like. And sometimes I look back at the things I was worrying about two three years ago, and it's like, why was I worrying about that? I think it's just the uh, the context of it seems like it's a monumental thing to move a big mountain of a task, so to speak. You know, you have to change this big process and now you have to do it for all your clients. And it doesn't seem like you can move all of that in one go. And so people, I think, procrastinate on taking that first step. But there's that famous expression of like even the longest marathon starts with the first step or something like that. I'm, I'm probably completely uh, <laughs> annihilating that. But, um, you know, back at the end of February, uh, I went to NerdioCon in Cancun. Poor me, yeah, a conference in Cancun. Um, you can pity me now. Um, and uh, one of the sessions that was there was Gabriela Schuster. She was a, a former channel chief at Microsoft, and she has been leading a, a big sea of change where the DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion um, topic is concerned. And so she delivered a really great session there. And it hit me when I was there that. One of the reasons that we have so much challenge, I think, with uh, driving diversity, equity, and inclusion in tech is that it just feels like a big thing to move the needle on. Uh, But it often starts with the one individual just 
providing a little bit of support for the person that that needed to be included in a meeting or included in a topic or that kind of thing. And so it just hit me that we just over contextualize the, the grandeur of an issue uh, and forget to just take that first little step. Brian Tracy wrote very famously in a book somewhere, how do you eat an elephant? And the answer, yeah. of course, is... The first what, bite. You start yeah, with, yeah one exactly. You, you take a bite and you take a bite, you take another bite. I did read once about a guy that ate a plane. He ate a, a small single propeller plane and it took him 10 years. And I suspect he's very dead now because he's got a, an entire body full of metal. But he, he, you know, I remember reading the interview and someone said to him, how do you eat a plane? He says, well, I knew it would take some time. So every day I just ate a little bit of the plane and eventually I'm halfway through. Why you'd want to do that, I don't know. But but there we go. So we well, guess what we're talking about here then is just drilling down whatever problem Problem you've got, whatever challenge you've got, whatever's stopped you already taking action in the first six months of this year, you can you can get past that with good habits and, and breaking it down into just simple things that you can yeah. tackle going forward. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think this is an area where MSPs tend to want to compare notes and, you know, they see what some of their larger colleagues are doing, MSPs that are maybe 10 plus people that that have started to bring in a management layer into their business and they realize, oh, well, you know, but they're doing it. How, you know, how come mm-hmm. I can't do it? And it's because we we tend to, as smaller MSPs, you know, um, Jay McBain gave some interesting data points uh, at that same conference, NerdyCon. The average MSP worldwide is eight people. And at eight people, you have a lot of the folks in your business wearing a lot of hats. And so it's easy to be distracted from some of these very focused, you know, habitual tasks that are going to help and drive improvement in your business or create process in your business. So I get that it's hard. Uh, but again, th- that's where that daily decision comes in. If you were to talk to one customer every day for the next, you know, two months, you will have spoken to all your customers. But it just often feels like a much bigger uh, monumental task to take on. Yes, it does. It absolutely does. Uh, just as a side note, Jay McBain is possibly the world's greatest source of of stats about MSPs. Every time I speak to someone and they say, oh, Jay, have you seen Jay McBain's latest thing? And it's always a new stat or a new thing that he's pulled out from somewhere. I think he's he's single-handedly feeding the entire channel with, uh, with information about MSPs, which is just brilliant. Um, now, Luis, you and I are going to continue our conversation on YouTube, and we'll talk about that in a second. Before we do, tell us a little bit about scale power. Skillpad is a is a business that uh, it just felt like home when I when I joined Skillpad back in September of last year. Um, I've been a customer of uh, what was known as Warranty Master um, since 2015 or something like that, and uh, so I've known the product, I've known the people for quite some time. Now, Warranty Master rebranded as Skillpad back in October of 2020 because the platform does so much more today. So ScalePad um, at its core is an asset lifecycle management platform, ALM. And so we do that by understanding what kind of equipment or hardware uh, is in your client networks. We integrate with your PSA, RMM tools, uh, and a number of that type of um, places where you have information about your devices. Uh, we bring in information about those devices, the software they're running, uh, et cetera, et cetera. We give you a really nice picture of what's the hardware situation, our servers out of warranty, um, how old are they, and so on. Uh, provide a nice uh, dashboard hardware report for you to use uh, for your meetings with your clients. Um, in fact, some of our partners say how much um, they rely specifically on the ScalePad asset report uh, for their QBRs or their strategic meetings and such. Uh, and last December, we acquired Backup Radar. Uh, Backup Radar is a, um, a, a platform that does a centralized oversight of your backup platforms for reporting, um, compliance, and uh, 
risks and so on. So for example, as an MSP, uh, we're always trying to standardize and we always want to use a single backup platform wherever possible, you know, keep the simplicity at, at the maximum. It's easier to manage and maintain. Uh, but as you take on new clients, they may uh, come with a different backup platform that you have to ingest. Um, and so we help you centralize the reporting and the analysis of all the backup platforms that you might have to support at any given time. And so this plays a really interesting role uh, inside of the ScalePad family because, again, we're helping raise insights and reporting um, across the entire estate of the client's infrastructure and giving MSPs a great way to use that for the strategic conversation. That's great. And give us the website address, Luis. ScalePad.com or BackupRadar.com. Paul Green's MSP Marketing Podcast. This week's recommended book. Hi, my name is Mark Firth. I'm a LinkedIn expert and, and my book recommendation is The Almanac of Naval Ravikant, A Guide to Wealth and Happiness. The premise of the book is getting rich is not just about luck. Happiness is not just a, a, you know, a, a trait we're born with. They may seem out of reach, but it's teaching you how to not only build the business, but to find fulfillment with it. And that's very rare. Coming up next week. Hey, I'm Brian Gillette. I'm a sales infrastructure and MSP sales coach. And I'll be on the podcast next week to tell you all about how selling can actually be a feel good and recharging experience for your business. In fact, we're going to make the whole of next week's podcast about selling. We're going to be talking about the pain that prospects have. What is it that's driving them to pick a new MSP or pick an MSP for the first time. We'll talk about how to identify and understand prospects' pain points. We're also going to be talking about the five most common sales objections and how you can overcome them. Now, don't forget, over on YouTube right now, you've got the extended interview that I did with Luis Giraldo. You can access that right now. And on Thursday, we'll be publishing another bite. It's our show about the show on YouTube, and we'll be releasing it on Thursday. You can see all of our content at youtube.com slash MSP marketing. Please do subscribe to us on YouTube and wherever you listen to this podcast. Join me next Tuesday and have a very profitable week in your MSP. Made in the UK for MSPs around the world. Paul Green's MSP Marketing Podcast.